pass the water around. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Let's go. Thanks for such a fun. Uh, thanks for showing up for such a fun morning. It was nice to have so many people here. We're very glad that the Wheaton College folks were here as well. That was a very nice thing. You're just about, you know, out of uh, regular time and back into the fast coming up of uh, Lent. So we'll talk about that. Let me get to a proper text. Stick with me. Here we go. Transfiguration. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. So when you see the face of Jesus, you see the face of God. Quite good stuff. Christ our God, who was transfigured on the mountain and manifested to your disciples as they were able to bear it, shed forth your everlasting light on us, your servants, that we behold your glory and enter into your sufferings and proclaim you to the world, you who gives light in the darkness and you who are yourself, the light of us all, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That was a nice prayer. Uh, so, um, you know, that's the, I mean, this morning is, the, the service this morning, if you haven't been, it'll be great when you come back also, but that's sort of the consummate feast before the fast. So you have this glorious thing, and um, I don't know if we've ever had that many voices and instrument, instruments up there. So that was very nice to hear how the space reacts to that and how you react to it. And uh, it was just a very nice a very nice pace, and it was very nice to have all of you there, and it'll be nice again coming around. So we're grateful to the Wheaton College folks. I want to say, you know, especially thank you to Philip who arranged this, but then Peter and Philip Rudd are always just behind him. So, you know, those guys are working hard. They're pulling a lot of pieces together. Life is good. We just want to say... Thanks to them, and remember, you know, all the good that they're doing. Uh, let's see. On the back, you have the same hand as you did last time. I put you a little thing about going to France. Um, Arthur called me and said, we're getting the band back together. So um, <laughs> uh, somebody looked at the picture and said, you look like you're in the witness protection program, which may in fact be true. Uh, anyway, there are some churches there. We'll go, um, we'll go uh, of course, to Notre Dame, which is, you know, one of the best places in the whole world. And Mont-Saint-Michel, this thing that's built that turns into an island when the tide comes in, which is built on geometric patterns all the way to the top, top to bottom, over centuries. And Rouen is a place where uh, St. Joan of Arc was, you know, lit a fire. But they'll also be, you know, um, in Normandy. I'm sure they'll still have oysters and champagne. So we'll figure something out, okay? And it won't be during a fasting season. It'll be during a feasting season. So, um, you know, have some fun with that. So if you want to go, take a, I got tons of brochures. I didn't bring some up, but if you want to go, it's way out in November, but you can think about it now. Mr. Hoffman. Yes, it, well, well said. Yes. So one of the great things, you know, we've talked about, and I was very glad, it's always nice when people do what you ask them. So one of the ways we want to encourage kids to be a part of St. John is we have a, a load of very young, very talented musicians. So I'm talking, you know, 7th grade, 6th grade, 5th grade, 4th grade. So now help me out. There was a cello. Was there a viola as well? Uh, uh, two cellists. Two clarinets. Okay, good. So we had five kids who actually then got to sit in, you know, with the big kids, which is, you know what? I mean, if you're a musician and you're part of that, you're feeling like, you know, so it's another way to love kids. Let me also say, if you have a young child who plays, and I mean plays in a way that, you know, is, is fit for church, not perfectly, but 
um, you know, that plays, you should get a hold of me or maybe a Peter or Philip or the other Philip. Get a hold of somebody. And on big days like this, when there's only reward, you see, the reason to put them in there, there's only reward. They can't do anything wrong. If they hit a, no, seriously, if they hit a wrong note, you can't hear them. There's too much going on. If they hit the right note, they're part of the gang, right? So there's only upside in putting your kid upstairs to, to be part of it. So if you have a kid who's taken lessons and can fit in, I mean, they have to fit in the bigger picture, um, it's very good, and thanks very much. To, you know, it's just, it's just so cool when that happens. It's a way, and I know it was noisy this morning. Rejoice that you had 50 kids under the age of 8 in the sanctuary. I know it's noisy. That's great. It's good noise. Uh, you know, it's very good kind of noise. You know what? Nobody's screaming, so let them go. It's, it's good you're trying to build into people the joy of the church, even in kids. And if kids feel like they're not a part of it or they have to go somewhere else or people are doing this to them, you know, if the kid next to you is screaming, you should pat him on the head and tell him how much you love him. That's the deal, okay? That's why people come to church, because they get what they can't get anywhere else. The world is filled with people doing this. You know, we'll, we have to love people. Now, there are some exceptions. For example, if you don't sign up to house those kids from St. Louis who are coming in two weeks, I will use guilt and shame, okay? <laughs> So we need housing for like 60 kids. I think we're half done. Denise Wenty, wherever she is. Denise Wenty. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what could they, I mean, in 12 hours, what could they steal from your house, okay? It's really not. I mean, check their bags before they go. You can't, they can't hurt you. I mean, I think what we'd like to do is move to a place where we have a couple of high school choirs and a couple of college choirs and the seminary choir and the Wheaton people and, you know, Chuck Brown's choir. By the time you do that, you can have eight or ten Sundays, Sundays like this for a relatively inexpensive price with quite a lot of pop. When are you coming? Well, all I have to say is I know these kids Good. That's great. But your kids, you know, there's a place for your kids. Yeah, what I'm looking for is a commitment from you on your choir here. You don't have to sell the other thing. Let's sell your choir right here. One of those, I mean, if you'd like to um, shake your finger at Chuck, that's okay, because, you know, it's been, uh, seriously, you know, bring him out. It'll be fun. All right, here we, we'll pay you. It'll be great. We'll give you money under the table in a plain brown paper bag. We can, we can, we can make this happen for you. All right, uh, give some money to Russia. The Russians need a new car, and they also need summer camp. You remember we give them about $10,000 in the summer, and they run this camp. I've encouraged them to plan ahead, which I've already heard from them about the summer. That's good. They're going to need nine dollars or $10,000 to run their summer camp. For that, they put 100 kids in the Siberian wilderness and tell them about the little baby Jesus. You remember that a few years ago, you helped them buy a plot of land inside. You'll see it downstairs in the video. You helped them buy, buy some land and put buildings on a place inside a national park in Siberia. That's sort of unheard of, especially for church people. And Pavel Zaikin is crazy, you know, Pastor Zaikin. He, they, they go spelunking, and they rappel down sides. And then his wife, who is a doctor, fixes anything that goes wrong. Um, so uh, they also, uh, you've seen the Russian roads, and they rolled a car over a few weeks ago trying to get to a church that was far out. So they need, I don't know, they need about 25000 bucks if anybody wants to, um, you know, Give 25000 bucks to the Russians, and then we move on. Okay, so uh, anyway, throw some money in the thing. That's good. Now, what have I forgotten? Anything else? Just a yes, sir. Is, is the presentation down, downstairs the same as the one that's on a newly designed website? 
You mean the newly designed website that the vicar did all by himself and we never had to think about it and it saved us like that website? I, I think we were, you know, we were paying several thousand dollars and now we're not paying anything. So, um, except we're paying the vicar, but we're hardly paying him anything. So be nice to his wife, okay, or something, you know. Send him a, send him a gift card to go to dinner or whatever. So uh, I think it is the same. I believe it is the same, yeah. All right, anything else? So um, what I, uh, you know, it's already, you know, I always think I'm going to get farther than I do, but I don't really care if I don't. You may, but I don't really. However, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and I just, you know, I'll put my cards on the table. What I'd like you to do, according to your own strength, is to spend some time in prayer and fasting over these 40 days. Um, now, so it starts Wednesday, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to actually talk about the practicalities of fasting and to take questions about that. And then we'll circle back around and we'll do a little bit more with the theology of it. But first, the practicalities. Um, what can go wrong if you start fasting? What can go wrong? Starting Wednesday, what can go wrong? Ready? One, two, three, let's go. You can break the fast. Cheater, cheater, right? <laughs> yes, right. Or if your wife breaks her fast, then what can you do to her? Guilt and shame, guilt and shame. She's pregnant, that's right. All right, but in a normal Lent, it would be guilt and shame, guilt and shame. So there's two things that immediately go wrong. You can miss it, um, you know, and then you can feel horrible about yourself, which, of course, is what the church is all about. Or you can, uh, you can, you can miss it, and somebody else can make you feel horrible, which is also what the church is all about, right? So one thing is you can miss it. Um, two is you can, um, hey, and I thought of this, while you're making her feel horrible, how do you feel? Pretty good, exactly right. So you could also feel better than everybody else if you fast and they don't. So there's at least three things that are going wrong. You think you're morally superior than other people. You're not. You shame other people. It's not your business. And you hate yourself, which is, why would you do that? You've had enough of that. So there's already three things. What else can go wrong? Really? I can think of a dozen things. Nothing else? You could pass out from hunger, which means you've overextended yourself. Uh, so we need to talk about what that would mean. What else can go wrong? You can feel like it does nothing for you. Like, what's the point? Right, good. So which then, of course, that would mean that we've made the fast all about me rather than all about the little baby Jesus. If the fast is all about me and not about the little baby Jesus, then it's not fasting. It's something else. What else can go wrong? You can fail in what particular ways? Any particular ways you're thinking about? You can hold that. You can just fail. You can just miss it. Like, you know, you can go on vacation. Let's, like, let's say, I, did, I, did I tell you your husband bought you a cruise for the middle of Lent? <laughs> Except you, he also said that you wouldn't be eating. So, oh, did it? No, it's not, actually. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's the hard, that, you know, you can just fail at it. Yes, please. Uh, you can fast but not pray, and we'll have to be careful about how we talk about that. Uh, what else? Anything else you think that come to mind? I'll give you one. Um, people in America, especially women, have tremendous trouble with body image. Partly then, that also means that we have eating disorders. I'll just say up front, I'm not going to give you many books on fasting. will explain all the biology behind it, what happens to you, here's how you do it. I'll give you the most basic things to do, but I'll also say, you know, if... If you've struggled with um, anything, with any sort of eating disorder in the past, um, there's this famous quote from St. John Chrysostom, who in many ways was a dork. Uh, but he was also a genius, where he said, I'm only attracted to women who fast. I'm like, really? 
Like on Match.com, is there the things you want? Like I'm open, I'm not open, only fasting women. I mean, he wonders why he gets no hits. So, um, so I'm just going to say to you, you know, if that if that has been a trouble in your life and you are afraid, you know, you might reignite it or could re- just, you know, I'll help you with something else. Figure something else out. Move to abstinence. Do something else. Feed the poor. There's a dozen ways to do this. So. If this were the law, where we were saying, everybody's got to do this, blah, blah, then I couldn't say this to you. But since you're free under the gospel, and that's going to be the hardest thing, is to keep you all free while you're doing this, especially if it's the first time through for you, because um, especially when you do anything for the first time, it just doesn't work out that way. You forget about things, you aren't in a habit, you haven't built habits yet, blah, blah, blah. So just, I just want to you know, think about that. Um, another thing that can go wrong is that people can multiply rules and even make rules for other people. Uh, I know none of you would do this. I've just read about this in books. So, um, you know, sometimes you can like, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm doing this, which goes to I'm better than everybody else, or at least I'm better than the person I'm sitting next to. It can go wrong, you know, as you basically become a Pharisee. You remember the great story where Jesus says, he tells about the two guys going up. One's the law guy, one's the gospel guy. They go up the temple. And the guy says, I, he stands at the front. He says, I thank God that I'm not, not like other men. What does he say? Do you remember what he says he does? He says, I fast. How often? Twice a week, which was traditional for Pharisees. Monday, Thursday. I fast twice a week. And what? I, give to, I, tithe, I tithe 10% of all I've got, which of course Jesus then means for you to infer that you should never tithe and never fast. It's clearly the message Jesus is trying to teach there, right? You know, we, uh, you know sometimes we read the text to our convenience. Uh, and, and I've warned you last week about doing a, deal, uh, doing a deal with God. Somehow you're going to leverage God into, um, into doing something. Yes, David? I was going to say, I was reading a, a note in, in the uh, study Bible. While the Pharisees fasted twice a week, the Jews were only required by the Mosaic Law to do it once a year. Yeah, on the Day of Atonement. Although there are, yes, the, so there's a question about requirements and, you know, then what you're free to do. So I think the answer is you're not required in any way to do this. So, and I just want to be, like, really upfront with that. I'm not, like, saying, you know, if you don't fast, you're bad or blah, blah, blah. I'm really not. Here's what I'm saying. We've been together 15 years. This is a thing that the church has found very helpful. Jesus expects it out of us in some sense. You know, Jesus did it, Daniel did it, Paul did it, Moses did it, everybody's doing it, all the cool kids are doing it. So, you know, what I don't want from you is to feel like, you know, you must do it, so that's a very good point. On the other hand, I would like to suggest to you that you may find it helpful for a range of reasons. Pause. Questions about any of that? Okay, so now let's actually talk about the practicalities of it. Um... I gave you in the handout, and we'll come back and talk about this, um, you know, maybe when we shoot through again, but I basically gave you in the handout the difference between fasting and abstinence. Almost everybody I bump into, and I must say this is the way we've talked about it here as well, is most people give something up for Lent. They don't eat chocolate, they don't drink Coke, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that's in the broad sense. You can, you can, it's under denial, or you can talk about fasting. But classically, fasting means that you don't eat. And the, 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 the basic thing is that you don't eat. Now, what I tried to break you out of last week is that you don't eat 
as a this for that as a trade so that you get something. No, here's the thing. It's just that you don't eat for some period of time, not so that you'll get what you want, but so that God gets what God wants. And that's always where things come out from under the gospel and go under the law. When it's about, I'm doing this so I can get what I want, that's wrong. If you're doing it so God can get more out of you, so God can use you in a better way, so God can attune your life to his life, so that God can get what God wants, then you're on the right path. Now, um, I noted for you, you know, a couple of ways the biblical fast. David already mentioned the Day of Atonement, which was a very interesting fast because it was 24 hours, and that's except for these remarkable things where you say uh, somebody fasts for 40 days, uh, you know, Jesus, Moses, you know, sort of the normal fast that's thought to be very rigorous is a 24-hour day. The interesting thing about the Day of Atonement, if you read that, is it is, in fact, it was, in fact, the one fast required. However, if you note when you read that, it's also declared a Sabbath. One of the things that's going to happen when you fast is that you're going to be, by about 11 or 1 o'clock, you're going to be out of sorts and cranky. My advice to you is eat something the next day and then come and see me, okay? <laughs> I don't want to see you when you're cranky, okay? Don't, uh, don't show your fasting to other men, especially me, all right? So, uh, just kidding. Uh, here's the thing. So the 24-hour fast was also, if you read it, was also declared a Sabbath, fast and declared Sabbath, which means... Everybody rested. It means you didn't have your normal life. I'm not suspecting that that's going to be any of you. If you do that, um, I would suggest to you that you might, especially if you haven't done it before, that you might uh, declare for yourself a, a Sabbath. That you don't try to do this when you, you know, you're working overtime in tax season and you're, you know, you're staying up till 10 o'clock and then you have a late call after that. It's not going to go well for you. Um, because you will be depleted. The point of it is to be depleted and feel depleted. One of the points of it is to make you reliant on somebody your, besides yourself. One of the points is to show you that man does not live by bread alone, right? One of the points is to bring you to a place of discomfort so that other things will happen, like you'll think about the little baby Jesus, like you'll remember it's Lent and this is a different time, and especially like... The last hymn was genius. The last hymn was genius. It was basically the last hymn said to you, Alleluia is the way of the church. That was the first. And then the second verse said, Alleluia is what they do in heaven all the time. There is no fast in heaven. And then, uh, then it's the third verse said, but we still live in Babylon. So, fourth verse, we're going to put an Alleluia away for a while. We're not going to say that. We're going to fast from our Alleluia. We're going to take these 40 days and really pay attention to what Jesus, who Jesus is and what the church means. It's a genius hymn, the way it's constructed, because what it does then is helps us live backwards. And this is what Jesus means by festive fasting. He says, they can't fast anymore, the bridegroom is here. No fasting while Jesus is present. Okay? And then he says, when I'm gone, you can fast again. But you always fast in the knowledge of the resurrected Christ. So a dozen times since I've known you, I've said to you, you live your life backwards. You live your life from the eschaton, the final day, backwards. You don't live from now until the final day. And I've said this to you in a bunch of ways, including 
If you knew that the world was going to end at 5 o'clock today, if you knew it, that Jesus was coming back, and you changed your life in some way, you would know then that your life isn't what your life is meant to be. Okay? If you knew the world was going to end, to all these people who run around and go to the bunker and blah, 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 and the Myers, the Mayans and why, the Myers too, the Mayans <laughs> and Y2K and all that kind of, it's like, it's ridiculous. If you know the world is going to end today, you should, you should, and you flinch. That means that your life isn't where your life ought to be. You want to live in this constant state of readiness, the foolish virgins, the bridegrooms knocking at the door, it's the middle of the night. If you're changing a lot of things around saying, I'm going to suddenly get better before five t- tonight, your life needs to be, you need, you need the kinks out of the hose, okay? So what we do is, you know, just what you heard in the service this morning, which is, we know that Jesus took flesh, we know that Jesus will die, we know that Jesus will rise, we know that Jesus lives, he lives for us, especially in baptism and Eucharist, but we don't act as if we don't live in Babylon anymore. And we need discipline, and we need reminders, and we need help, fasting among them, you know, prayer among them. We need those things to help us live the kind of life that is, uh, you know, as John the Baptizer was sent to do, prepare a people fit for the kingdom of God. What we're trying to do is prepare people who are fit for the kingdom of God. Basically, this is a little exercise in seeing if God can get a little more out of you in a gospel sort of way to see if your spiritual life can be a bit better so your church life can be a bit better so you can be more loving, you can be more kind, not because you're a great person and you've done all this yourself, but you've been to the Eucharist, Christ lives in you, His Holy Spirit pushes you out, it pleases His Heavenly Father, and someday you get this every day. That's where we're going, okay? You're expected to grow up from milk to meat. That's right. That's the whole point. The whole point is, in, is, is about growing up. And the good thing, I mean, this is sort of what I said to you last, last week. You know, in so many churches, money and giving is the big deal. You guys have pretty well, you know, we're not all perfect at that, but we've pretty much got the idea that when I say that, nobody flinches anymore. We say it to the new members who are coming in so they can catch up. You know, we just expect you to tithe. You kind of expect yourselves to tithe, a real tithe, 10%. And the reason, when you do that, you can have things like the Wheaton College Choir come. And we don't think about it. It's true. I mean, you know, we don't think about it. You know, we, we write them a check and off we go and life's good. Because what happens is you put money away and you don't have to think about that. You have discipline in that area of your life. Now you take food and you discipline that area of your life. Discipline is not a bad word. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean denying yourself or going out in the desert and living in an ascetic place. It means you realize the rhythm of feasting and fasting, and that you need both of them. So we've just had this great feast. We had a minor fast in Advent, as we expect Jesus. We have the great feast of Christmas and Epiphany. Transfiguration turns us back to the great, the great feast, the great Pascha, the great feast of Lent, and then we will um, uh, to the great fast of Lent, and then we will we will rejoice again on Easter, and then we will live in that. You know, for months, for months, for months. And that always shows you, you see, it's always a preponderance. It's always more gospel than law. Uh, He, um, you know, sin abounds, 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2. Grace abounds, 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, all the more. Sin is 2 plus 2. The word is sins stack up by ones and twos. Uh, By addition, grace stacks up by multiplication. So you always have in the church more grace, more gospel than you do more finger shaking. And if you don't, 
You have no idea who Jesus is, and you don't know what the church is. Okay? So now, because I want to actually make sure that I say this to you, the practicalities, okay? Um, there are several different ways you can go about this. I'm going to suggest to you that you do um, less rather than more, okay? Um, when you live in France, well, no, let me, let, me, let me back you. Well, the easiest fast which would probably actually be good for you, is just not to eat between meals. So I'm going to try to offer everybody something. The easiest fast would be just don't eat between meals. You all eat between meals, don't you? You do. Yeah, you all, yeah. I mean, the easiest fast would just be eat three meals, or your normal meals, whatever you eat. Eat three meals, one, two, three, and don't eat before or after. That's not going to endanger your health. In fact, um, it'd probably be good for you, Okay. If you just if you want the most if you want the 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 sort of the bare minimum participation that you know is not going to hurt you and your doctor wouldn't disagree with and of course I'm saying everything I'm saying if you're under a doctor's care if you're taking medication if you need to eat uh, I'll come I'll find something else for you to do okay but if we're just in general for normal people like you the easiest thing would be just breakfast lunch dinner and stop uh, and when you stop as I'm going to say to you you're going to get a tinge now and then because you've changed your behavior, and it's the tinge that reminds you that you're in Lent with all that that means. The most basic fast that the church has always observed um, is not eating before the Eucharist in the morning. So, you know, I'll talk out of school a little bit. When Arthur just comes and stays with us, um, you know, I always forget. I wake up and I, you know, I want to make him breakfast because it's a long pull when pastors come. They're not used to it. You know, we get here by 7.30, and then you don't really stop until 1 o'clock. It's straight through. There's no time to do anything. Um, he doesn't. He never eats. I mean, through his whole life, he never eats before he goes to the Eucharist, which is a little bit dangerous because, especially if he's working hard here and going through the morning, that's a long time not to eat. But for you, especially if you come to the early service, one of the ways that you can, and it's a very common fast in the church, it's why, you know, your first meal of the day is break, the fast, right? So a very common thing for people to do is to not eat before the Eucharist and then eat after. Speaking of which, did you see the Wall Street Journal article yesterday on the bottom front? Anybody see it? Yeah, I'm looking for a committee to help me. It was about synagogues who spend like a thousand or two thousand dollars a week, not just on great food, but like on Johnny Walker Blue, and they some have great martini bars, and since they have it in the morning at 9 a.m., people are like, like at 9 o'clock, I'm like, I'm seeing a potential here, I'm seeing a possibility. So we could work on this during Lent, and we could come fast at it in the Easter season when the feast comes back. Believe me, you spent your money on worse things than this. So um, the most basic fast would be just don't eat before the Eucharist. It, you'll be interested, it'll change you, and it's only once a week. Um, you know, you might give that a try. Or if you come in the mornings, it's going to be a little more, it'll be a little more rigorous for you who come every morning, but um, bring something along. So just the most basic thing is not before the Eucharist. You let the, let the Eucharist break your fast. Kind of the most next thing, the easiest thing after that is just don't eat between, so breakfast, lunch, dinner, and no more, okay? Then beyond that, you do have sometimes that people fast till midday. So you wake up in the morning, you don't eat until lunch, um, that's sort of a, and that'll stretch you a little bit, probably to not to the point of crankiness, but you who are caffeine addicted, um, you're probably going to get a little bit of a headache. 
you're probably going to get a little bit of a pang from that. Um, I should say in all these things, the fast is solid food. You need to drink water like crazy. You need to stay hydrated if you do this. You need to drink water. Sometimes people, you know, have a juice fast as well. That's come in a little bit with more health concerns. I mean, that's more of a thing you see on late night television as opposed to in the church. But it, it does remain a, a kind of abstinence, and some people are going to need that for whatever medical things you might do. If you can pull that off, I'm not your doctor. Talk to your doctor. But in any case, let me say, in all of these things, you need a lot of water. You need a lot of liquid. You need to keep going because your body's not going to work quite as well as you think. Beyond that is, now these are the two biblical fasts that actually come up, is 12 hours, which is basically um, you wake up in the morning and you don't eat until dusk, basically. I know daylight savings time, mix things up. Pick a 12-hour time period. If you get up at 6, eat at 6. And then the really uh, stretch of it is 24 hours. I'm not going to really suggest that to you. I mean, if you do that, make sure you know what you're doing because, and make sure that you do it at a time uh, when you can take it. And also, uh, this might be an interesting thing for you. Usually when you abstain from something, if you give up chocolate, for example, you know, you give it up for all 46 days, and on day 37, it's driving you crazy, right? But if you fast, for example, if you pick a fast, um, and you can pick any of these. I mean, if you, if you pick, the, I won't eat until I go to the Eucharist. You've actually picked only on the days when you go into the Eucharist. The rest of the time, you know, you're fairly free. Uh, if you say, I'm only going to go till noon, or I'm only going to go till dinner, Usually, now you're thinking about the Pharisees, um, they did that twice a week. Christians in the Didache, so that's about 80 AD, said, we're not going to fast on the same day as the Pharisees, so we don't want to be confused. If they fast Monday and Thursday, we'll fast Wednesday and Friday. Um, you know, if you do that, remember, so let's say that you're going to do a, a 12-hour fast. Let's say that one day a week you're not going to eat until sunset, okay? So six to six. It's just one day a week. So it means you're only going to do that six times um, during Lent, right? So kind of think that through, schedule ahead. You know, think about whether, and I actually was only being half serious about the, think about if you have a vacation in the middle. Um, we may want to absolve you halfway through for the cruise. Because what you want to do is set an expectation. Otherwise, if you, no, seriously, if you're going on vacation in the next six weeks and you say, I'm not going to do this, and then suddenly, you know, you're with all your friends, that's a recipe for disaster, for failure, not disaster. It's a recipe for failure. So kind of think through the next 40 days and try not to set a thing that is too difficult for you because um, what you want to actually do is succeed with this. Yes, please. Did, did the Old Testament fast, didn't it go from sunset to sunset? So you actually go to sleep and then wake up and then kind of like, like you'd eat dinner and then you wouldn't eat till dinner the next day? Right, and that's considered 20, that sounds, yeah, and it depends on the kind of person you are, too. It depends how you're wired and what your schedule is, but yes, it was, it was straight through for 24 hours. So dinner and then, so it'd be basically one meal a day, right, as opposed to, to, to two, for example. If you go sun up to, if you only eat when it's dark, for example, you would know this easiest in Ramadan, for example, if you only eat when it's dark. You know this thing where they, you, you, the way you know that you can, uh, when you can start to eat is you hold a black thread up against the sky. Do you know this? You hold a black thread up against the sky, and when you can no longer see the thread, then you can eat. That's your, that's your clock, which is a better than doing this. It's actually kind of cool. When you can no longer see the thread, you know, then, then it's time to eat. It's actually, it's, it sets your clock in a particular way. 
So, yes, please. On Wednesday? Yeah, okay, so I just want to be very clear. You can do what you want, okay? I'm only describing, I'm not prescribing, okay? And here's the other thing. We got to, now, you know, thanks so much for asking because there's another thing to talk. I need to talk about at least two more things. I got a couple of emails about this this week. It was very, they were very helpful. One was, how are we going to do this without being public and prideful and yet do it as a community? And then the second thing, what about kids? And then the third thing, I do want to talk to you about prayer. So at least those three things I want to get on the docket. Um, so here's the thing. You can do what you want as long as Mr. King says it's okay. But if you're crabby to him every Wednesday through Lent, he may be taking a fast from you, okay? <laughs> so uh, here's the thing. You can do what you want. It's a, long, it's a long time. If you stop at Tuesday dinner and you go all the way till Wednesday after the Eucharist, it's going to be 8.30. So it's 24 hours plus two and a half probably. If you, I mean, you can do what you want, and I'm not your doctor, and we don't have liability insurance for this. So you can do what you want. But uh, the other thing is, is, see, if you make me prescribe too hard, then I suddenly become the, the rule guy, and I'm not going to become the rule guy. I'm just telling you what Christians have found helpful. Go ahead. God bless you. Most people, when they go to the psychiatrist, it always comes back to their mommy or the church. So I'm willing, I'm willing to take my lumps here, okay? Let me just, in retort, say to you, I've actually shortened your fast because in the early church, they didn't get together. They didn't have a sunrise service. It was over. They went to the tomb while it was still dark, which for you would translate Saturday on 7 p.m., okay? So I'm just shortening your fast by about 12 hours. You know this. They didn't, Easter morning was not the morning. It was midnight, and then everybody slept in. So do what you want. It's great that you've had some success with it. Be careful and don't make the old man cranky. All right? It's the other way around. I'm not get, here's the thing. You can't fast for other people and you can't confess other people's sins. That's a couple of the rules here, okay? All right. What, anything else? Yes, please. Yeah, go. As Jesus said, who made me judge over men? <laughs> so here's the thing. You can do it as you wish. I actually don't want to be that prescriptive the first time around. I do not. I'm just, I want to tell you, I'll tell you what I know, but what I don't want to do is be the prescriber. So here's the deal. Um, the less options, the more you'll suffer, right? So just take coffee, for example. Here's the thing. I have four cups of coffee in the morning. You know why? Because the latest study says I won't get Alzheimer's then, and also it fits my presuppositions. So I just quote the medical study, and everybody leaves me alone. <laughs> it's great. I'm like every other postmodern. I bend the data to fit, my, fit, fit what I want. Um, you can do it how you want. I'm really trying hard not to give sort of any medical. I have, I'm not a doctor, and I I started reading all the stuff. Where almost every book on fasting has a chapter or two, and they try to explain what your liver is doing and your pancreas. I'm like, I actually don't care if they talk to each other during Lent. They can do what they want. If your liver wants to talk to your pancreas during Lent, God bless them, as long as they both end up praying. So 
Mark it how you want, but I'm not good enough and don't want to be the position to, but I will observe water is more difficult than water and coffee. It's more difficult than, and water and coffee is more difficult than water, coffee, and clear juices, for example. I got to do a couple of quick things. Your kids. Um, we want your kids to love the church and not hate the church. That's why we keep kids in the church. That's why we let them play music in the church. We want your kids to love the church and not hate the church. Um, I don't know that I would declare a fast for your kids. I, I think kids are real people, and they need to come to things. Um, that, you know, They need to come to things sort of on their own. This wouldn't be a place where I would throw down and say, the whole family's going to do this. You know, I just, I just, you can, you've got to raise your family how you're going to raise your family. What I don't want is your kids bummed about the church for 40 days because Bruzek says we can't have any Cocoa Puffs. All right. <laughs> I mean, I just, it's just not, it undoes everything that we're trying to do. So, uh, you know, think about that. I got to do one other thing because we're, um, we're coming up on time and this morning, especially with our guests, we can't be wrong. I'm going to, I am going to prescribe one thing, or at least I'm going to ask to, I'm going to ask one thing. So pause. I'm going to ask you two things. One, at least consider fasting. The whole thing about being public, it's not that you can't tell anybody else, it's that you get prideful about it. So, you know, we're going to talk about it, and I'm kind of asking you to do it public, but it doesn't make us better than anybody else. It doesn't make us better than any other church. I don't think that's the direction, but things can go wrong so badly. In the church, there's always this thing. There's this great old phrase that says, misuse doesn't constitute disuse. That means there are all these good things, and some people abuse them, alcohol, food, whatever. That doesn't mean we never have them. It just means don't abuse them. So you have this thing called a fast. You do it in a particular way where you're not trying to get a crowbar on Jesus to make him do what you want. You're trying to get a memory in your head that you want to do what Jesus wants. You want to be attuned to the way Jesus sees the world. And one of the things he says is that fasting will help you do that. So I want you at least to consider fasting. I would like you to consider doing less rather than more. You get the rest of your life to go 24 hours, you know. And one of the interesting things, I know some of you are fasting, and you've talked to me about it on the side. Here's the thing. Some of you, because you've fasted for years, like, Marin, if you've done this for a long time, you have all sorts of experience, that, but that's probably not right for other people, okay? So you just got to do what you do, and that's great, and it's good to know that you've grown through that, but that may not be for everybody. So what I would say to you is pick the least... Pick the thing that is the least rigorous for you and that you can achieve. You don't fast. The six Sundays during Lent, you don't fast before you come to the Eucharist. Or the next thing up would be you just simply don't go between meals or you pick one meal out or two meals out during the day. If you're going to go all the way 24 hours, I would suggest that you follow the Day of Atonement suggestion and declare a Sabbath. So that's a day of rest and prayer. Finally, and i got to go, we can come back to this next week, but I want to get this in because for Ash Wednesday. Think about fasting. Choose less rather than more, and also a single prayer that I'd just, I'd be, I'd, I, and I will, I've been kind of looking around, but I haven't found the right one, but if I find one, or if any of you find one, you can send it to me. St. John is a wonderful place. The next thing that we need to do is to think about drawing people in. So for these 40 days, what I would love to have you pray for is that we would be open, hospitable, and that you would you would say to people like you know you got an email blast this week that said this is a great Sunday to bring guests because it'll be glorious. Just think about one person in your life or two who really needs the touch of the Eucharist, who really needs the touch of Jesus. Pray for them, 
and pray that they'd come to St. John. And think about yourself. Pray for yourself to have the courage. It doesn't take much to say to a friend. It doesn't take much because it's such a great place to say to yourself, I go to a really great church with, filled with really great people who are really on the side of the gospel and not on the side of the law. Would you like to come with me? That'd be the one thing I'd ask you to pray for. So many other things are in place. That's sort of the next thing for St. John over the next few years. We've looked in and we've done a lot of good work. We really sort of need to lift our eyes and look out and say very gently to people, hey, you want to come to church with me? If you could pray for that single thing, um, and I'll look around for a good prayer so that you're not struggling with how to do that. If you find one and you want to email it to me, that would be great. We got to go. It's quarter till. Ash Wednesday, um, you know, starts. It starts Wednesday. Come Wednesday. Uh, here we go. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See ya.